Okay, so I'm writing another book. Hi folks, this is uh, Unstandardized English. I am your host, Dr. J.P.B. Gerald. We talk about the racially, linguistically, and neurologically minoritized on this show, which used to be specifically about language, hence the title, but I stopped doing that a while ago. Sometimes I talk about language. My training is in language education, so it's always going to be, you know, in there. But as anyone who listens to this show knows, I wrote a book that came out last fall. I'm, this is This episode is being released in November, so last fall, still true, uh, fall of 2022. And, you know, I went through a journey, right? Um, when it came out, it was, it was well received by the people who read it. Well received. I was, I knew that people, well, I didn't know, but I thought that people might enjoy the reading of it, the prose, because I put a lot of work into making my work interesting to read, but I didn't know that it would be respected in the academic world. You know, I just, it's not a very formal writing. It's not really how I write. Um, and so anyway, as you probably heard on here, the book was nominated for a, uh, an academic award, a book prize, the British, British Academy of Applied Linguistics book prize and didn't win. But before that happened, you know, I sold quote unquote, a lot of copies. Again, this is an academic book, right? Specifically with APA citations and everything. I try to get other people to read it and you know like I gave it to people but like if you're not academically trained and I don't mean that in terms of your intelligence or some nonsense like that I mean if you haven't spent time reading stuff like this it is hard to read I, I mean I think it's easy to read for an academic book but it's not as easy to read as something that's for the mass market you know and even when I write things like I have I'm still a nerd and the way I write is still a little more complex than most folks that doesn't make it better. I'm just saying the words I use and so forth. But when I write an essay on Medium and I'm writing just to be heard, I'm not writing in this same fashion, you know? So anyway, when I got that nomination, because, you know, I wrote the book and I wrote most of the book in 2021. Um, and then it came out a year later because I edit pretty fast. Or they, I mean, honestly, most of the time between signing the contract and the book coming out was them putting it together and editing and people taking a long time. So, uh, the, the less I can force it to be in other, for, you know, allow my work to be in other people's hands, the faster things go. I understand the editing is necessary. I just mean like I finished, I heard, I turned in my draft in August of 2021 and, um, they didn't give me their comments on the editing back until February. And then I edited it within a few weeks and then they, then we were done by, by May, right? It took me seven months to write it, and then it took six months for me to wait around for them to give me a response, you know? Uh, <laughs> anyway, so when I finished that, you know, I had a weird summer last summer when I was sitting around waiting, like, waiting for see how it would be received. And then it came out, and it was well-received. But again, this is an academic book. So well-received and popular, we're really talking about, like, seven, eight hundred copies, you know? which is a lot for a person who's never written a book before. And it got well re reviewed by everybody except for the one guy who follows me around the internet. Um, 
But honestly, I wanted to reach a different audience the next time around, you know? I didn't know who that different audience would be. I was cycling through ideas early in the summer, and I was really overthinking it as a neurodivergent person truly does. And I really wanted to get more into neurodivergence and disability in my work. Obviously, my first book, if you don't know, was about language, and it combines analysis of language and race and racism and, and ability and disability, but it's really about language and racism, right? It's about whiteness and language teaching. And I still have a foot in language teaching. I do adjunct as a, a you know, professor in the education department and teach classes about language. In fact, the class I'll be teaching in the spring semester is about the intersection of um, language and disability, or it's a class about language education for special education teachers. So I really get to talk about stuff I'm interested in there. And, you know, it's a few bucks, but it's nice to just, I like to teach, right? But I'm still not a language teacher right now. I am a language professor. I'm a language academic in some senses. Uh, I, I run in those circles, as it were, at least virtually. But, you know... If you're not a language educator or a language person, I'm not so sure how much you care about what I have to say. I don't mean the podcast. In fact, part of the reason I do the podcast is because I want it to be more I want my work to be more accessible to people and I'm very open with sharing my work with people. Like if I write the book, you got to buy the book. But uh otherwise essays and stuff, I want people to have it. What's the point of something if people can't access it? You know? But I didn't know who the audience would be. Like, I, I wrote a novel in April, really for fun, and because I wanted my, my wife to read something I wrote because she likes novels, and she read it. So I succeeded at that. But, you know, I sent it to a couple of places, and they didn't respond. So, But here's the thing. Any publisher, they get thousands and thousands of submissions just constantly, right? So in order to be that... You know, you really have to make it the most accessible thing possible. And I was still writing a book about white savior academic type people, right? So although that is a genre, um, it's hard to find the right publisher for that, especially cold. So I said, well, that's not going to work. I thought about self-publishing a novel, which I could do, but that doesn't, you know, you you make more money. I mean, you make a larger percentage of the money, I should say, but like, you know, that would have been a lot of work. And frankly... It's nice to have the imprimatur of, you know, some publisher behind you. I realized I just started talking and didn't even do the intro this time. That's, that's fine. <laughs> uh, I'm just telling the story, folks. There's no reason. What's, the, what's, what's to introduce, right? Um, it's just me here. So anyway... I've sort of overthought it all spring and summer, right? And then I finally said to myself, well, a book that I wrote a chapter in in 2020 was finally coming out this fall, and it was released in September. It's actually, for again, the kind of book that it is, a really good book. It's for teachers, K-12 teachers, and it's really accessible, right? Um, all the chapters are pretty short, 4,000 pa uh, pages, uh, words, which is how long my chapter was. And, you know, 
one of the, the t- there were two people who edited that book who I had worked with, and they're both really, really well respected in the sort of anti-racism and equity spaces. So I reached out to them with some questions like, hey, are you all still doing this book series? And one of them said, no, she'd moved on, but the other one was still doing it. At the same time, I was waiting around for my academic, um, for my academic award to be announced, right? And, you know, I felt like if I won that award, they'd probably let me do whatever I wanted in terms of a follow-up academic book. And so I started submitting things. You know, you've all heard this before, but in 2020, I, was, I didn't know if I was going to go for a tenure-track job. And so I was applying to, to every sort of writing opportunity, and I got into almost all of them, which is why I was in three chapter books then. And I kept saying yes, because again, before the book came out, I didn't necessarily have the confidence the book would be good. And now, it's, now I'm confident in my writing and in the fact that people will, be, will buy my writing. But so I'm still waiting for one, two, three chapters that I've written to be released in various books, which will bring it to six on top of my own book. And then there's another chapter I've agreed to write, but they still haven't told us when that's starting. So I guess I have to do that at some point. So that'll be seven. And then, so like, (laughs) even though I'm not writing a lot of journal articles, because I just think journals are silly. um, When I went to update my CV, because of the adjuncting job, I realized, like, there's a lot of stuff I've written. You know, and I didn't even put it all on there. I used to, because back then, what I thought stood made me stand apart from tenure-track applicants was the fact that I'd given a lot of speaking engagements, right? And so I had every single speaking engagement on my CV. When I submit that to regular jobs, they didn't care. And frankly, the tenure-track jobs didn't care either because I didn't get any. I didn't even get an interview. So... The, uh, so my wife saw that. She's like, just take this off, Justin. Like, what are you doing? So I changed it to a regular resume, and then I got the job that I have now. She was right. But anyway, the CV I hadn't updated in almost two years. So I went back to look at it, and I was like, this is ridiculous. So I put on the classes I taught, and I put on stuff I'd published, and I just realized, like, I have done a lot of stuff in the last few years. Since, since you've all been listening to me, if you've been listening since the beginning in 2019, everything has happened since then. So you've been able to follow the story if you wanted to, and I appreciate all of you who have listened. But anyway, I didn't know what would be next. And, you know, I submitted something to the other published, the other editor that was an idea about whiteness and in different education systems around the world. He said he liked it a lot. There's the dog. Um, and But it wouldn't be appropriate for the series he was working on. He said it's too academic of an idea. Um, I said, all right. So I put that to the side. Then I came up with another idea. He said, great, but, you know, maybe read you know, tweak it this way. At the same time, I'm still thinking, how can I get neurodivergence in here, right? Because I've said this in my writing. Uh, I haven't really said it on here, but when I think about ADHD and neurodivergence, the the idea that truly comes to mind is I do believe that the condition or whatever you want to call it owes me money, owes me time. But you can't get time back. So only you can get is money, right? Um because I spent so long believing I was incapable of certain things and that there was something wrong with me. 
And now that I finally understand what I'm capable of, it just feels like I wasted so many years, man. Not in my life, but like believing these things about myself. And so like now that I have these confidence in my own whatever, which you all have probably heard grow throughout the podcast, you know, I'm trying to get something out of it. Like I need to make something out of the ADHD thing and that, and you know, so all this time, don't worry, I'm getting to the point of the, the book that will, that, uh, the point of this is that I have a contract for a second book, but I'll, I'm going to get there. You, you know, the title, the title says book number two, you know, I'm going to get there. So anyway, um, I, for the last year or so, maybe I've, ever since my diagnosis was two years ago at this point, you know, for a while, I just sort of was like overwhelmed. I was like, what does this even mean? Oh my God, I'm replaying things and being upset and being whatever. Once that sort of calmed down, I started taking a certain type of medication, not for ADHD, but for other emotional stuff. And I've been able to sort of think about it. And I really wanted to be in more ADHD or neurodivergent spaces. And the problem as you all well know, is that the stereotype of a neurodivergent person, particularly a person with ADHD, is a small white boy, as I've said on this podcast many times, a white boy who can't sit still. So not only is it a different demographic for me, but also the manifestation is very different because I am hyperactive, I guess, but it's never really manifested in fidgeting. That's not really how it works for me. But I don't think that that's simply a difference. I think a lot of that is socialization it was not socially acceptable for me to bounce in my chair, right? There were kids with, in retrospect, neurodivergence and ADHD, white boys in my school who did that sort of thing. And, like, the teachers would get annoyed, but, like, wouldn't get upset or anything. I'm not saying they should have been upset, but I just, whether it was from my my family or just media or whatever, it never even occurred to me to do that. All my hyperactivity was really in my head, Right? When you say in your head, it may sound like it's fake, but I mean, it was in my brain. Um, You know? So anyway, I've wanted to build a community of neurodivergent people of color. And I've tried several things. I created a Discord server. I signed some people up for it. But I had to push the conversation myself, and eventually I gave up. People posting there like once a month now. It's still there. But it's just, you know... And I realized I, I, I put something together in, in April and I was trying to bring people together for that too. And some of them responded and then, you know, didn't go anywhere. And it's frustrating because the type of neurodivergence I have is that I know enough that I'm not going to let things fall by the wayside. It's not that I'm so good at getting things done. I mean, I am, but it's more that I feel an internal pressure is that as soon as I slack off, it's going to fall apart. So I can't. I know I'm going to forget stuff if I don't do it really soon or write it all down or whatever. Um, and so while I was thinking about this, I thought about that editor and I put a, um, a proposal together for K-12 teachers. And that's a much bigger audience than academics. And it's also... They're more like humans. I love you, fellow academics, but we are basically not humans in the way that we behave. (laughs) I don't love every teacher. In fact, I tend to get frustrated with a lot of teachers. But, first of all, 
what's the point of me being frustrated if I'm not going to do anything about it, right? I'm no longer being taught by K-12 teachers, but my son is going to be. That doesn't necessarily mean he's neurodivergent. I'm just saying he is going to be a black child in school. He's in preschool now. Um, and I can sit here and be suspicious or bitter or, you know, roll my eyes when I hear certain things that certain teachers do, especially given the demographic that most of them are. Well, I mean, I can do something about it. So part of that is teaching the adjunct classes for pre-service teachers, right? I taught one this summer. They really liked me um, or the work that I did. I don't really care if they liked me, but they liked the, the, the job that I did to the point where I got the second adjunct job because the head of the department or the team or whatever reached out and said, they liked you so much, please come and teach another class. And because it's an adjunct thing and it's a second job, which again, I don't need, but I'll take the money. I kind of do what I want. If the school doesn't like what I'm doing, then I won't do it anymore. Right. So I'm just going to do the best that I can and hope that they respond to me and they have. So that's one way I'm trying to affect teachers is I'm helping to shape future teachers. But also, maybe I should write for them. Part of the problem is when I talk about racism and stuff like that, you know, I am trying to give people scholarly advice from my research, but they're like, this doesn't apply to me. Your research is not about kids, which is true. That doesn't mean there are no lessons that can be gleaned, but my research is not about kids, partially for expediency's sake in the sense that when I was getting my doctorate, it... All the people who wanted to work with kids, like they had such a process of going through. And I said, I do not have time for that. And also because I'd worked in adult education and I still work in adult education, you know, I wanted to write about adults. I was writing about academics, although that wasn't my plan. That's just who responded to my survey. But anyway, but I thought about neurodivergent people of color or students, but students are people. And I thought about myself and I said, you know, Yeah, the kids teased me, but they didn't know I was neurodivergent because the manifestation of neurodivergence is different for different demographics. It's different for women and it's different for people of color and so forth. Not because our brains are different, but because our worlds are different is what I would say. Um, I feel the same about depression and stuff. It took me a very long time to understand I could be depressed because every depiction I saw was like a white lady crying or staying in bed all day. And I not one to cry very often and I'm also not one to stay in bed all day even when I was depressed I would it was much more of getting irritable and feeling isolated and trying to fill the hole with other people and activities I was never somebody to just stay in bed all day but like I don't blame my parents for this they never would have let me just stay in the bed <laughs> so you know anyway so with ADHD same thing and I said well you know what has anyone ever told these teachers about this? Special education teachers, and I don't like that phrase, it's just what they're called, are taught about neurodivergent students, obviously, and everybody else gets some information about neurodivergent students. But are they getting information about neurodivergent students of color? And I mean not deficit-based information. I'm sure that they are probably told either from their colleagues or a student's records about like, well, this per this kid acts up, he's got ADHD, and you better watch out, or whatever. Although, of course, 
people of color are underdiagnosed with neurodivergence because of the way that it looks. And so I said, is there a book like this? There isn't, at least not one in English. If it exists, I can't find it on the internet. And in 2023, if you can't find it on the internet, does it exist, right? Maybe someone wrote it with their hand and they'd put it in a message in a bottle. <laughs> I found one book that's a, for parents of neurodivergent kids of color. And I said, when I was going through the like similar books and so forth, I put that on there. And then I realized that book didn't even come out yet. That book's coming out in January. So like literally right now, there really isn't one, right? Again, that I can find. Um, but I, I'm, I know how to use the internet. If I can't find it, is is if it's so hard to find that I can't find it, then people don't know much about it. So this is why, why does this book not exist? And of course, I realized like first of all, doing research on neurodivergent people is only is very much changing because the whole concept is changing and so forth. Second of all, we are underdiagnosed. Third of all, any neurodivergent group of people is hard to organize, as I have learned, which is part of what is hard about us finding a community, but we are hard to organize. And a lot of us in neurodivergent people of color spaces, we've had a tough time. I'm not saying my life has been bad. I'm just saying these intersections can really compound. So I put together a proposal that, you know, the only way I could really talk to teachers about what they should do is to talk to people like me, right? I could tell teachers what happened to me, and I will, but I need to get other perspectives. So my book is called Embracing the Exceptions, Meeting the Needs of Neurodivergent Students of Color. And let me tell you, it is not an academic book. So um, this book is for K-12 teachers, like I said, or it will be. Um, it is with, so the publishing the funny thing about the academic publishers is they're all usually owned by larger companies that do non-academic stuff as well. I don't mean that they're owned by like Scholastic or whatever or Penguin Random House, but like this, my, my, my book is going to be with, I'm, I don't know if it's best to say Routledge is a part of Taylor and Francis or Taylor Francis is a part of Routledge. I think Routledge is a part of Taylor and Francis. But anyway... Taylor and Francis publishes a lot of the journals, too. <laughs> so, like, it's all one thing. There's just not that much publishing. Independent publishers are out there, but, like, you know, it's funny because with the money thing, so academic publishing, and I'm not trying to savage my, my academic publisher because I want to be clear, although this is book number two, book number three will be right back in the academic world. In fact, I plan to just sort of alternate if I can. Um, you know, like a Hollywood director doing one for them, one for me kind of thing. Maybe if it goes well enough, I can just sort of do this as a career. But now that I have a good enough job, I've made it so that my job is good enough that it would take a lot of books to get to that point. Um, nice problem to have, obviously. But anyway, so uh, it's for K-12 teachers and if I get the impression based on the editor that I worked with before and what he wanted for the book that I was already in is it'll be my much more informal side, not casual, but like so that people can understand it. 
Because the, the point of this book is a few things. I would say teachers understandably will say that they want the best for their students. And although there are a select few who don't, most do. They may or may not be well-versed in various forms of equity or the versions of equity that they get is, you know, kind of surface level. And I'm not blaming the teachers for this. In fact, I'm mostly blaming teacher training for this. I'm more writing this book because teacher training needs it, right? Um, so anyway, this is supposed to be a warm-hearted book. Obviously, some of our trauma will end up being in there because I want to ask people about their experiences and some of them are simply traumatic and that's I don't want it to be trauma porn you know I don't want people to pity us but I want people to do better by us and the only way you can do better is if you know better knowing better doesn't make you do better but you can't do better if you don't know better um so it's just gonna be stories really I'm gonna frame it around various symptoms we tend to have not so much to say we are we all are our symptoms but um partially to interrogate these symptoms in the dsm as i did with my first book and also to show how things are different for us in both good and bad ways i think each i don't know yet i haven't written it yet but each chapter will end up with sort of a chart at the end that's like here are some things you can do um and I'm in the process of lining up my interviews now, or since this is November, I probably will have started them. Um, and, um, you know, this is the hard part, is getting these interviews done. And then I'm going to take some time and organize the data, the transcripts, use the same sort of analysis I did when I did my dissertation, although I don't mean the same techniques, but just like use the same program so I can sort of sort things out and when I'm putting the stories together. But this is honestly much more like the Henrietta Lacks book than it is about, than it is like the dissertation, you know? Um, and I'm excited about it. I really want people keep telling me it's important and when people of certain demographics tell me something I'm doing is important, I get little, uh, uh. But I do think it's important because the teachers that I had, very few of them were malicious. They didn't have a lot of black students. There's a lot of work now for teacher, or white teachers with black students. But there still isn't, isn't any on black, not just black, but uh, neurodivergent students of color. If there is any, it's deeps inside of journals, which might be published by Taylor and Francis, but like teachers don't have time for that. They don't have access to it unless they're in school. Um, and I can't, if, if that data exists, and it might, it's not disaggregated by race, or it's conflating race and class, which is why I'm trying to get a broad enough group of people where that is sort of covered. Or it's from a deficit lens. It's about what's wrong with us. You know? Um, and, you know, I plan to talk about the quote-unquote symptoms not as a problem, but just as the way we move through the world. That's going to be the challenge of the writing is when I'm talking about um, things to recognize in us. It's... These are going to be things that happen in white students, too. It's just that the way it looks for us is going to be different, you know? Because we don't need to be punished the way we are. 
And sometimes our punishment is social rather than academic, which is another thing that I'm going to hope to put in the book is that like a lot of us are very, very strong academically, whatever that means, but it means something. And one of the reasons I never got it recognized is because I'm very good at tests. Um, if I'm interested in a subject, I will memorize. My long-term memory is impeccable. My short-term memory is terrible. So I write everything down. If I forget to write it down, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so, but if I need to memorize something, just sit down, put the facts into my head, and repeat it in one way or another. Like, part of the reason I enjoy karaoke is because I know all the words to the songs that I like. So, you know, I couldn't necessarily tell you the words, but when the, when the rhythm is playing, I can sing them. I'm not saying I'm great at singing, but... And I also want to sort of... I'm doing this for the kid that I was, too. Um, because he didn't have this. And there are going to be parents out there who I hope value this, even though it's for teachers. Um, and I think there will be adults who value this. Um, I don't want to claim to be an expert on this. I'm an expert on myself. Everybody is. And I'm not going to go in and say, here's a lesson plan, especially in a mixed group of kids, right? But I also think that these lessons are useful for any marginalized group. And I want people to see the value in us, that's why it says embracing the exceptions. I'm saying exceptions rather than exceptional because that word's been used like twice exceptional, like gifted and people of color, right? A lot of us are also that. But, you know, we don't fit into the box of most neurodivergent kids. And we don't fit into the box of most kids of color. And then we doubly don't fit in the box of, you know, kids in general and the thing about the sort of gifted and people of color thing is that one of those is sort of inherently seen as good whereas with neurodivergence I see it as good but it can be treated as poor and then we all know about racism so these are two exceptions that are potentially harmful based around the societal understanding of things But it's a lot of pressure. This community doesn't have a lot of representation, or at least not a vocal representation. Um, and it, these things do make things difficult for us in some ways. It is hard for us to be organized. I know before this job, I was in a lot of situations where it's got the best of me. And it really affected my career, my relationships, and my schooling. Again, mostly for social reasons. So, my hope with this book is that I can share a handful of stories, overlapping, etc. That will... Turn us into full people 
Because if you don't know or love one of us, I'm not sure you really know who we are. And hopefully after this book comes out, that won't be true anymore. Okay, it's a short one this week. I'm very excited about it. Oh, and oh, yeah, I'm academic publishing. I'm like I said, I'll go back to academic publishing after this, just because with the degree, you know, people would respect you more for doing academic. But like academic publishers, like they don't pay you anything. Ever say everything is a percentage of royalties, right? But like, it's ridiculous. It's like a three times higher percentage, and is a bigger audience because it's teachers rather than academics, and they actually do the marketing. Obviously, you can self-promote, but, like, it's, like, ridiculous. The academics, they take everything, the publishers. And I'm not dissing my publisher who did, they treated me very well and respected my work, but, like, it's the industry. And then you have to do all the marketing yourself. Yeah, they said, like, they'll say stuff and, like, they say, our newsletter has 3,000 subscribers. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> no matter what has become of the website, I have, like, more than twice as many, not, well, about twice as many people who follow me across my various platforms. So, like, 3,000 is nothing. And you got to do so much of it yourself. And I do a lot of it through this work on here. So, you know. This is going to be a different experience. And I really hope that it's beneficial to the community, the fractured community that I'm a part of, that I don't, I'm not saying I want to be the leader of, but that I can support. Okay.